0: And since next Sunday is Easter Sunday, that means that today is Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is a very significant day. We celebrate Palm Sunday because today's the day that kicks off a new week and it leads us into Easter week. It's the week that many people call Passion Week. So we see the events of Easter, we see the crucifixion, Good Friday, we see even the celebration of the Passover feast, all this good stuff that happens within Easter week, and so that's one of the great reasons that we celebrate this day as we we lead into the next week. Of course, the other reason why is because Palm Sunday is a day that we commemorate Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, that's when Jesus recognized that his purpose and his destiny were right in front of him, so he enters into Jerusalem so that he can go and take our place on the cross. Next week we'll talk a little bit more about the cross, we'll talk about the empty tomb and the resurrection, but this week I thought it would be fun on Palm Sunday to talk a little bit about the triumphal entry and everything that that meant. So if you have a Bible this morning, would you join me in Luke? Nineteen, Luke chapter 19. I started preparing my message for today, and I was going through all of these details about the triumphal entry. Every single one of the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four tell the story of Jesus coming into Jerusalem. But I have to tell you that there was a part of the story in Luke 19 that I got stuck on. And I wanna talk a little bit about this today because I just felt like God was really impressing this in my heart. I hope you grab this today, I hope it affects you because the truth is, we can look back at the history of what happened on Palm Sunday all the way up through Easter. We can look at it as a historical event or we can look at it and ask, how does this apply to my life today? I think there's a lot of things that we can see in Jesus' triumphal entry that apply to our life even to this day. So before we get to Luke 19, I just wanna ask you a question. Have you ever had to do something that you absolutely did not want to do, but you went ahead and went through with it because you knew that when you were done with it, there were good things that awaited you on the other side of that process? Have you ever had to go through a process that was so difficult, that was so challenging, maybe even painful that you absolutely did not wanna do it, but you went ahead and went through with it anyway because you knew once you got through with the process, there was something that was awaiting you on the other side that would make it all completely worth I think a lot of us have gone through difficult times in our life, we even had to swallow something that was tough, go through a difficult experience, but we did it because we knew once we got through that experience, there was something that awaited us on the other side of that decision that would make it all very much worthwhile. There's some really uh, interesting things that I was thinking of personally. You know, a few weeks ago I was preaching and I was talking about going to the doctor. I hate going to the doctor. I had a really bad experience going to the doctor a few weeks ago and so I was telling everybody about it in church a few weeks ago. But I thought about this even more and I'll take this a step further. Have you ever had like an ailment in your body, a torn ligament, a broken bone, something that was wrong in your physical body and it was affecting you so badly that your body could not function at maximum capacity? You weren't at full strength because you were just ailing, you were aching, you were hurt, you were in pain, you were in such terrible shape that you go to the doctor and the doctor utters these words we're gonna to need to do surgery. There's nothing fun about having surgery, okay? Because you have to go in, you check in in the hospital, they put you under, they cut you open, they fix what's wrong with you, and then you're in the hospital for a couple of days. Ain't nothing about that that's fun. But if you're in terrible pain, And you can't function, you can't walk, you can hardly function at maximum capacity because you're in so much pain or you have this terrible ailment in your body. You're willing to go through the process because on the other side of that process is a great relief that makes it all worthwhile. Can somebody say amen to that? What about this one? Because I know I'm not the only person in the place who feels like this. I hate going to the dentist, okay? (laughs) I said this once when I was preaching here that The dentist, for me, my whole life has been the office of bad news. Because here's the thing about the dentist. When you go in, they always seem to tell you that there's two or three things that we found wrong with your mouth today. Well, that's great. It seems like in my case, you go in and it's like, there's five or six things wrong and it's gonna cost five or $6,000 to fix it. And nothing fun about going to the dentist. But if you have a toothache You're willing to go to the dentist and say, go ahead, poke me with two or three needles. Go ahead and take that drill and stick it into my tooth. And the process is never fun, but you're willing to go through it because the relief that awaits you on the other side of the process makes it all completely and totally worthwhile. Has anybody ever been there before? See, sometimes in life we have to go through things that aren't fun, but if we're willing to submit to the process and we endure the process, there's something that awaits us on the other side that makes it all completely, totally worth our while. Hebrews chapter 12 says this about Jesus. It says that Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. He's the one that we are to fix our eyes on. And this, this is what it then says: it says, Jesus, the whom for or the one for whom would Sorry, I'm getting this totally wrong. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, scorning the shame, and now he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. In other words, it's saying this. Jesus was willing to endure the pain, the torture, the ugliness that was the cross because he knew that on the other side of the cross was such great joy that the process of dying for you and I was totally and completely worth it. I'm grateful for that. Is anybody else grateful for that? Now, next week we're going to talk more about the cross. We're going to talk about the empty tomb. We're going to talk about the resurrection. But this week I want to focus a little bit more on the triumphal entry and everything that led up to this. Because Jesus endured something for you and I in a few days. But in the story of the triumphal entry, there's a story about Two disciples who are asked to do something that's a little bit uncomfortable to go through a bit of a challenging process, and it's a story that oftentimes we overlook when we read this. I want to read it to you today because I think that there's some really, really good things that we can pull from it and apply to our own lives. This is what it says in Luke chapter 19, starting at verse 28. So speaking about Jesus, it says, when he had said this, he went on ahead, going up toward Jerusalem. And it came to pass when he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet, which is another name for the Mount of Olives, at the mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite you, where as you enter you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, Why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, Because the Lord has need of it. Now right here in the middle of the story of Jesus about to enter into Jerusalem, what we see is a a side story taking place. There's Jesus, two disciples, and a colt. And I wanna sidetrack here for just a moment and you might be wondering why is it that we're stopping to focus on a story about Jesus, two disciples, and a horse? You might not think that's very important, but in fact, this was a very, very important story. All four gospel accounts give a story about Jesus entering into Jerusalem. In the book of Matthew, Matthew takes extra time to talk about the significance of this cult because he says that when Jesus was going to go into Jerusalem, the prophecy would need to be fulfilled that he would ride this cult into Jerusalem. And this prophecy goes all the way back to the book of Zechariah in the Old Testament. The prophet Zechariah says, look, O Jerusalem, in comes your king riding on a colt. So when Jesus was about to enter Jerusalem, it was very important that he rode in on this colt. But here's the thing. Before he went, there was no colt. So in order for that prophecy to be fulfilled, excuse me, Jesus looks at two of his disciples and he says, hey guys, here's what I need you to do. Before we go to Jerusalem, I need you to run to this village right over here. As soon as you step foot in that village, I need you to look around because pretty soon you're gonna see a colt that's tied up. I want you to go over, untie the colt, and then bring it back to me. This would fulfill the prophecy of Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a colt. So this is what the disciples have been encouraged and told to do. Now, let's read on. Verse 32. So those who were sent went their way and they found the colt just as Jesus had said to them. But as they were loosing that colt, the owners of the colt said to them, hey guys, what are you doing with my horse? Is everybody with me right now? This is what was happening. The disciples went, they found the colt that Jesus told them about. They go over to loosen it and suddenly the owners of the colt say, hey guys, what's going on? I see that you're untying my horse over there. What are you up to? And this is what I love right here. And they said, the Lord has need of him. Exactly what Jesus told them to say, the Lord has need of him. And then verse 35, then they brought the colt to Jesus and they threw their own clothes on the colt and they sat Jesus on him. Now from this part of the story, I wanna go in a couple of different directions. I wanna explain a couple of things because I don't know how you're wired. I don't know how you read the Bible. I think because I feel called to be a a preacher, teacher of God's word, I feel like sometimes God just brings different things to my attention. I don't know what it is. I feel like sometimes when I read the Bible, I ask funny questions. I feel like I look at a story and say, well, how did that happen? I don't understand, what was that like? What was the backstory? What do we not know from scripture? I was digging a little bit deeper as I read this the other day because I began to realize that some funny things are taking place here. See, these two disciples have been sent to get this cult to fulfill the prophecy so that Jesus can ride into Jerusalem on the cult. Now, I want to take a moment and I want to ask you if you would go with me for a minute and put yourself in the shoes of these two disciples. I'm a pretty laid back guy. I don't really much care for confrontation and controversy. If I'm asked to do something that's unsettling, that's uncomfortable, that's outside of my comfort zone, I just don't really go for it. I'm usually the last guy to volunteer for something like that. Jesus looks at his two disciples and he says, Okay, guys, here's what I want you to do I need a cult. I need you to go to the nearest village and as soon as you step foot into this village, I need you to be looking for this colt that's tied up. And as soon as you see it, I want you to go over, I want you to loosen it, and I want you to bring it back to me. Now don't you know that at this very moment, those two disciples are sitting there thinking about this. Hmm. So you want us to go and you want us to steal a horse for you, Jesus, bring it back so that you can ride it into Jerusalem. Now some of you are thinking, wait, hold on, Jesus wouldn't tell anybody to steal a horse because that would therefore be a sin, which would mean that Jesus wasn't perfect. That's not what happened. Jesus knew that everything was gonna be okay when they got there. But put yourself in the shoes of the disciples for just a moment. If you are asked to go to a village where you are a stranger, Nobody knows you there. You don't know anybody else there. It's not your home. You're a stranger in a strange land. You're a foreigner in a foreign land. You get there, you step into town. Everybody sees you and says, well, I don't know them. We don't recognize them. They don't look like they're from around here. And you walk up to the first colt you see. You start to untie it and walk away with it. This, the, the thing that's happening in the story that you must understand is that these people would have had every right to come over, grab these two disciples, beat them, and kick them out of town for stealing somebody's horse. But yet what we see is that the disciples are more than okay with going and doing this. Now how is it that they would be okay with doing this? Because if I put myself in their shoes, here's kind of what I find myself doing. Okay. Let me get this straight. He's asked us to go get this horse. And when we get there, what happens if we start to untie this colt that we see? How do we even know the colt's going to be there? God, is there going to, oh yeah, Jesus is God. Okay, there's probably going to be a colt there. Okay, but when we get there, if we start to untie this colt, what's going to happen if the owner sees that we're walking away with this horse? Is he going to be upset? Is he going to get mad at us? Is he going to want to fight us? Is it going to make everybody in this town mad at us? I don't really want to walk into Jerusalem with two black eyes. I'm more of a lover than a fighter. I don't do so good with confrontation. I don't know about you, but This is all a little bit uncomfortable. Why are we doing this? Why did Jesus ask us to do this? Couldn't Jesus have gone and rented a colt instead? I don't really understand. But instead, the disciples go in a precarious position to do something that's uncomfortable, that's outside of their comfort zone that Jesus has asked them to do, and they go and do it. And when they get there, they start to untie this colt and the owners of the colt say, hey guys, what are you doing with my horse? Now, can't you imagine if either one of those disciples were even a little bit scared? Uh-oh, oh no, oh no. They see us. They see us. What do we do? Should we run? Should we just go? Should we just book it? Should we just take off? What are we gonna do? And the other disciple says, Hold on. What did Jesus say to do? Jesus said to tell them, the Lord has need of it. And so that's exactly what they what they do. When the owners ask, what's going on? What are you guys doing with my horse? The disciples reply, The Lord has need of it. Now here's what's crazy. Look at verse 35. The very next thing we say, then they brought the horse to Jesus and they threw their own clothes on the colt and they set Jesus on him. In other words, as soon as they spoke the words that Jesus has given them, the Lord has need of it. There's no argument, there's no hesitation, there's no confrontation, there's no fight. Instead they just say, hey, go ahead, it's yours, take the colt, it's all good. Do with it what you will. That's pretty amazing to me and I'll tell you why because I don't really know how it is that those guys were okay with turning loose of that colt. I mean, we'll come back to that in just a minute. But in my lifetime, I found it very challenging to step out in faith and do things that are uncomfortable. I found it very hard sometimes to trust God when I feel like my next step is uncertain. These disciples were asked to go and essentially walk away with somebody's horse believing that the owner was gonna be okay with it. And this is a little small detail in the big picture of this story. But the reason why I wanna concentrate on it for just a moment is because why were the disciples so willing, so able to so freely go and do exactly what Jesus had told them even though it was a precarious and uncomfortable position? I think the reason why is is because the disciples walked with Jesus. Every single day of their lives, they saw Jesus heal the sick. They saw Jesus do supernatural miracles. They saw Jesus cast out demons. Time and time again, they with their own eyes saw Jesus do miraculous things that told them that he was God. And here's the thing, when you've seen Jesus do great things in your life before, it becomes a whole lot easier to take steps of faith in the future. And you might wonder, now how does this apply to my life today? Well, here's how. I think that all of us at some point in our life become people who want God to bless us, to take us to new places in Him, to grow us, to prosper us, to do greater and bigger and better things in our life, but sometimes we never get there because we never took the very first step of faithful obedience. I think a lot of people might be here today and right now you're praying to to God for Him to bless you, to prosper you, to grow you in some area of your life, but maybe the thing that you haven't done that would enable you to get where you wanna go is take that very first step of faith. I use this illustration a lot because this is something I've learned in my own life. A walk with God and a journey with God is a long walk, but that long walk is always made up of individual steps. And we as human beings, this is what we always want with God. We wanna know what the final destination looks like. We wanna know what steps three, four, and five down the road look like, and the only thing that God has told us to do is to take step number one. And sometimes we get so frustrated with that because we say, well, God, why would I take step number one in that direction? Because I don't know what steps three, four, and five hold, and I really, really wanna know. And if you would tell me that, then I'd be more willing to take those steps. And what we want is the blessing that comes down the road at steps three, four, and five when God's saying, I'm not talking to you yet about steps three, four, and five, I'm telling you to take faithful step number one. How many people want God to bless you? Everybody should raise your hand because here's the thing, God wants to bless you. How many people want God to prosper you? How many people wanna grow in God? Maybe sometimes the reason why we don't see the growth we want, the blessing we want, the prosperity we want, to go to those new places, those higher levels in God is because we're looking at steps three, four, and five, and God's like, you know what, I'll, trust. I'll talk to you about those things, but first, I need you to take step number one. The disciples were totally willing to do what Jesus told them to do, even though it was uncomfortable and it put them in a precarious position because they had seen Jesus do miracles day after day after day after day day as they walked with him. So therefore, when Jesus said, go and walk away with somebody's horse, they said, no problem, Jesus, because when we get there, we know that you're going to take care of things. And how is it that you're able to trust God in those situations? When you've seen him do it time and time and time again. Trust me, the blessings of step three, four, and five, God wants to hand over to you, but God wants to trust you first with step number one. So the final question I'll ask before we move on to the next thing is simply this. What's the thing that God asked you to do a little while ago that you haven't yet done, but you're still hoping that God will bless you for it? Because sometimes we'll see God's blessing and his hand of blessing at work in our life When we look back and say, God, what is it you've asked me to do that maybe I haven't done yet because it was uncomfortable, it put me in a weird position. What is that step of faith and obedience that you need to take? It's important to identify it. What's the step of faithful obedience that I need to take right now in my life? So that's something to think about this morning. Now, let's take the other side of the story because I've grown to love it when I read the Bible and I find a story where somebody does something really important and I never find out what their name is. There's a story in the Old Testament of Saul, and Saul's going off to find his father's donkey, and I've preached about this before here in our church. He's going off to find his father's donkey, and Saul almost never gets there except for the nameless servant whose name is never mentioned in the Bible, that makes sure that he arrives all the way at his destiny, has an encounter with the prophet, he's anointed to be the king of Israel. He would have never got there had it not been for a servant whose name we never even knew. It's a great story. I love it when I see nameless stories in the Bible. And right here, these two disciples have an encounter with a nameless servant in the Bible because there's somebody who contributes hugely to this picture and we never even find out what their name is. And it's the people who are the owners of the cult. Now, I wanna ask you if you put yourself in their shoes for just a few moments because What if you were just sitting out enjoying a casual evening on the outdoor patio at a restaurant, you got your horse tied up over there that you're gonna ride home or you're gonna walk home when you get done. You're sitting outside, you're having a nice evening dinner and what you see is that there are two men approaching your horse and they're beginning to untie your horse. And the first thought is, oh my gosh, they're going to steal my horse. Now I know that you and I, we don't really relate too much to horses. Let me take it a step further. What if today, what if today, as soon as church is over, You walk outside to say hi to a few people. You kind of solidify your lunch plans. Everything's good. It's a beautiful first day of spring afternoon on a Sunday. You're walking out to your car, you're whistling, you're in a happy, good mood, everything's all good. But as soon as you get a few feet away from your car, you look up to see that there are two men breaking into your car. Now, I don't know about you. Yeah, at church, I understand. Now, I don't know about you, but my first reaction is, is gonna be exactly what theirs was, hey, what you doing with my car? Now what would you do if you were walking out to your car, two men were trying to break into your car, and you said, hey, what are you doing with my car? And their reply to you was, the Lord needs it. (laughs) Now here's the thing, at church, I'm a little bit more likely to buy that one, all right? But in order for me to just turn loose of my car to two people who appear to be breaking into it and walking out with it, In order for me to just turn loose of it and say that that's okay, here's what I think would probably need to happen for me. I would probably have needed to have an encounter with God last night while I was asleep or I had a dream or a vision, and he said, tomorrow, there's gonna be two people that are gonna try to break into your car, and you're not gonna be happy about this, and you're gonna ask them what they're doing, but when they say the Lord needs it, that'll be the confirmation that you know that you just need to turn loose of it. Now, I don't know if that's what happened in the story, but what I do know is probably something like that would have had to have happened in order for these guys to say, sure, take off, go ahead, take my cold, I don't care. Yeah, take my car, I don't even care if you bring it back, you know? Or maybe at that very moment, as soon as they saw that there were two people, or you saw that there were two people trying to steal your car, maybe the Holy Spirit just came upon you, or the glory of God shone around about you, and you stood there and you thought, wow, this is a God moment, and it seems to be a weird deal, but it's almost like I just know inside that I'm supposed to turn loose of this. That'd be a hard one to swallow right there. But for some reason, these guys were okay with it, because when the disciples said, well, guess what, the Lord needs it, they said, all right. Because there's nowhere in Scripture that it says there was a confrontation, there was a fight, there was an argument. The Bible says that they literally walked off with the colt, they put their clothes on, it, and they took it to Jesus. And I love this part of the story, and here's why. Because these nameless people who we do not know their identity, we have no idea who they are, we just know they're the owners of this colt, play a huge role in Jesus fulfilling prophecy and going into Jerusalem and doing what he was always intended to do because they were willing to let go of something in their life. I want to ask you something today. What is it that might be tied up in your life that you have been unwilling to untie and let go of because the Lord has need of it? Is there anything in your life that you can think of right now? You know, I've just been holding on to this. It's been tied up in my life for the longest time and I've been holding on to it so tightly because I guard this thing. It's so important to me. And then for a long time, God's been knocking on the door of your heart saying, I have need of that. I have need of that. I have need of that. There's something better. There's a greater purpose for that. I have something that I can do far greater than what you can do with it. Are you willing to untie it and let go of it? Is there anything in your life today that maybe is tied up that you've been holding on to and you are unwilling to untie it and let it go when all along God's been knocking on the door of your heart and saying, I have need of it. I can do something better with it than what you can do on your own. I wanna give you three words. If you're taking notes today, I wanna just give you three thoughts, three things to ponder to think about today. These are three words that have meant a lot to me because they've allowed me to kind of consider. My wife and I, we, we say these three words a lot. These are three Ts. These are things that kind of encompass every area of our life. Three words if you wanna write these down. Your time, your talent, your treasure. Your time, your talent, and your treasure. If you were to analyze the time, the talent, and the treasure of your life, I would ask you a question this morning. Is God have, does God have full access to your time, your talent, and your treasure, or are maybe those things tied up in some area and you're unwilling to let go of them so that he can put them to greater use? You know, the first thing I think about is time. You know, a lot of us are slaves to time. We fill our schedules with so many things. We've got so much going on, and it's always stuff that's either gonna bring about serving somebody else's purposes or serving our own desires, or our own purposes. And a lot of times, and we've talked about this a lot in our church, but a lot of times we fill our time with things that have zero eternal value. They're just taking up temporal space. And sometimes our time gets tied up in all of these areas and things that mean nothing Eternally, And God's looking down and he's saying, I can make way better use of that time than you are. Are you willing to untie it, turn it loose, and give it over to my kingdom purposes? Because here's the thing, time, the space, the length that you and I have been given here on this earth, it's incredibly valuable. It's incredibly valuable. Every moment of our lives counts for something. And either we spend it on ourselves or we invest it and things that matter eternally. Time's a gift from God. Our time is a gift from God. In fact, I wouldn't even say it's our time, I'd say it's God's time that we are being asked to be stewards of. Let's move past time, what about your talent? Your talent is the thing that really makes you who you are. There are people in this place that have talents that absolutely blow my mind. We have some people that just volunteer here in our church that do all kinds of stuff contributing of their talents and I am always amazed because I look at the talent that they have and I say, wow, there's no way I could ever do that. And the thing is, each and every person in this room, you have talents, giftings, and abilities that make you uniquely you and they're given to you by God. And a lot of times what we do is we take the talent that we have and we try to build our own kingdoms. This is something else we've talked about here lately. We do things for our own gain, for our own prosperity, instead of taking our talent and giving them for kingdom purposes and saying, God, how can you take my talent and do more with it? We take our talent because we believe that God's given it to us for us. And I wanna ask you, when it comes to your unique talents, your gifts, your abilities, do you have a talent, do you have a unique ability that is absolutely amazing that God has given to you that is tied up somewhere and you have been unwilling to untie it and give it to God for better, Purposes. Is there something in your life, a talent, an ability that is uniquely yours that you can just do really well? Something that would be a tremendous asset and tool to the kingdom of God that you've had tied up that you've been unwilling to untie and let go of? Is there anything like that? And finally, what about your treasure? I know there's some people that can say, he just said treasure. That always means money. Hold on. This is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus said, store up for yourself treasure in heaven. For where your treasure is, says it later on, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is a passage of scripture we use a lot. We always use it around a giving time. But I think that if I could take that passage of scripture and translate what Jesus said into modern English, Jesus said, where your heart is, there is where your treasure will be also. I think if Jesus was speaking in modern vernacular, this is what he wanna say. You wanna know where your heart is? Follow the money. You want to find your heart? Follow the money trail. Follow the paper trail. And you know what's funny about it is I think that that principle absolutely without question applies to my life and to your life because when it comes to what's most important to us and what we are most passionate about, if we want to figure out what it is because we think that we don't know, all you got to do is usually follow the money. Isn't it funny how that works? But here's the thing about it, and, and just to get off, you know, I don't wanna make anybody uncomfortable because we're talking about money in church for a minute, but here's what I wanna say. I think if I'm honest with myself, sometimes what I do is I look at my heart and I say, I want my heart to be here. But when I follow the paper trail, when I follow the money, my treasure tells me that my heart is actually over here. And I'm saying this from a heart of grace, please hear this, because this is not for the sake of condemning anybody. I think we're all at a place in our lives where sometimes we look and we say, I want my heart to be here, but the paper trail and the treasure says that my heart's really over here. And the thing the place where we've invested our treasure might not necessarily be bad things, but it might not be the highest thing, which is the kingdom of God. And I say this to you because if we wanna get our heart in the right place, then we have to align our treasure with the purposes of God. And a lot of us, what we do for our own safety, for our own security, for our own interests, for our own desires, is we tie up our treasure in all this stuff over here that has zero eternal value. When God's sitting there saying, will you turn loose of that treasure? Because I can do way more with it than you can. The funny thing about it is that when we turn loose of it and we give it to God, God has these amazing promises where he says that he'll provide for us. He'll take care of us. Not only that, he'll pour out abundance into our lives. But some of us never get to a place where we get to experience that because we never untie that thing and say, here you go, God, take it and use it for what you will. Where's your treasure tied up today? Where's your treasure tied up today? Now here's what's interesting about this. Your time, your talent, your treasure. Who gave us our time? God. Who gave us our talent? God. How many people believe that God is your source, that he's your provider? God is the one who gives me my treasure. He's the one who supplies my every need according to his riches and glory. So why would I ever view my time as my time, my talent as my talent, and my treasure as my treasure, when all along God has said, it's not yours, it's mine. And here's why I say that. If you were to read this passage in the message translation, this is such a beautiful thing, you have gotta catch this. When the disciples go and they, ask, and they, they take this cult The owners of the colt see that they're about to walk away with the colt. The owner says, hey, what are you doing with my horse? And this is what it says in the message translation. His master needs him. In other words, that horse ain't really yours. It belongs to the master. Your time, your time, your talent, your treasure, ain't really ours. They belong to the master. And here's the thing, he can do so much more with them than we can. He can do so much better with them than we can. He can do so much greater with them than we can. But so often we tie them up and we say, don't touch it, don't take it, don't run off with it because what about me, what about mine? As if God is not bigger than that. God gave us our time, he gave us our talent, he gave us our treasure. And what he's asking us to do is not take ownership of those things as if they're ours, but to be stewards of them and make eternal Investments with the time we've been given. So here's the question I want to ask you Is there anything that's tied up in your life that you've been unwilling to untie and let the master take control of? When I think about this story, one thing that's really amazing to me about it is that since today is the week before Easter, you know, Palm Sunday, we look ahead at Easter. And really what happened at the cross with the empty tomb, the resurrection, everything that happened, it was an amazing act of God. And the one thing that I realize immediately when I look at the cross is that I could not save myself. I could not have done that. Only God could have done that. But before you get to the cross, before you get to the empty tomb, when you look back at Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, there's this amazing path where Jesus is partnering with people that enable him to get to his intended destiny. There's two disciples that go to get the colt. There's the owners of the colt who are willing to turn loose of it. They finally bring him back. People throw their clothing on that colt so that Jesus can ride into Jerusalem. When he gets to Jerusalem, there's people that are laying down palm branches. The Bible says that they're even laying down their own clothing to cover the ground and praise Jesus for who he is as he rides into Jerusalem. And what you see is this amazing partnership that's taking place. Yes, an act of God was done later on in the week, but in the beginning of this story, as Jesus comes into Jerusalem, there's a partnership that has taken place where people are taking their place in the ministry of Jesus to see the purpose accomplished. And a lot of us look at the story of Easter a few days from now and what we do is we say, wow, this amazing act of God, look what happened. And we choose to believe in that and with a simple belief we tend to align ourselves with God. But the truth is if we really want to align our lives with God, we have to take steps further than that because the day will come when God will ask us what are we doing with our time, our talent and our treasure. The thing that he has asked us to be stewards of in this life, we will all be confronted with that. And the choice we have to ask is that these things being, the question we have to ask, are these things being used for my purpose or for your kingdom purposes? I had an amazing privilege, and I'm closing right now, I'm almost finished, but I had an amazing privilege to go to Bible college in Australia. I was there about eight years ago, and um, you know, during my time there, it was just absolutely invaluable, I'll never ever forget it. But I got to just be around some of the best teachers, best Bible teachers I've ever heard in my life. And being there was absolutely incredible. It was so influential and life-changing. And then you get to be around some of these people there also who are amazingly gifted singers, songwriters, worship leaders. In fact, some of these singers and songwriters and worship leaders are singing the songs and writing the songs that are being sung all over the church world today. In fact, writing songs that are being recorded and sold tens of millions of times over all the way around the world. I'll never forget when I was in Bible college, I was sitting in a service one night and they made an announcement that there was a staff member at their church who was going to South Africa to start a church. He was planting another campus from their church. And as I was sitting in church that night, they brought up some people onto the stage to honor that man before he left to go plant that church in South Africa. They brought up a group of young people who walked up on the stage, and they told stories about the impact and the influence that this man had had on their life. And many of them talked about how this man who was going to plant this church was their youth pastor when they were growing up. And the thing that really amazed me about the story was they talked about how there was this one year, they were all at summer camp, and this man, who at the time was their youth pastor, was sitting in a circle with them and he was talking to them and they were all just having this amazing time, the encounter with God that was life-changing for them. And they said, our youth pastor looked at us that night and he said, how long? He said, how long will the greatest minds, the most creative people, the people that God has gifted with incredible talents and gifts and abilities. How long will they take those things and run to the corporate world, to the jobs that pay the most money, to the places where they can get the most recognition, to go places where they'll they'll make a name for themselves? How long will will people continue to do that? At what point will a generation rise up that says, I'm not in it for me, I'm not in it chasing the money, I'm in it to build the kingdom of God, so therefore I'm willing to untie and loosen these things that God has given me? He says, at what point will a generation stand up and say that? And when they were telling these stories, the setting and the time in which it happened was back in the mid-90s as he asked these questions. And today, all of these people who were standing on that stage have gone on to pastor some hugely influential churches in the world. And not only that, but there were people on that stage that literally have written songs that are being sung in churches and being sold tens of millions of times over in the earth today. And as I sat in that room that night, I don't even know that guy but I was like weeping to myself because when I turned 23 years old and I got my life right with Jesus, I used to drive to work every day and I would put my CD in my CD player and I would listen to it and it was songs that were written by those guys that were standing on that stage and I remember just crying out to God and saying, God, if I could ever be a part of something like that, God, I know you have a purpose for my life. God, I know you have big plans for my life. And I had no idea that all those years ago, that just a few years down the road, I'd be sitting in the exact same room with those people that wrote those very songs. Today, I find myself at this place where the ultimate fulfillment in my life is just taking whatever it is that I can do and saying, God, use it. God, do something with it because I can't do anything better on my own The gifts that I have, the talent that I have, the time that I have, the treasure that I have has been given to me from you. It's not my own, so therefore, I give it back to you and I'm finding it to be incredibly fulfilling to just give it back to God and say it's not about me. I know you might say, well, you're talking about you, but what about me? And I ask those questions. What are the things that might be tied up in your life right now that the Lord has need of? You might be holding on to something right now that's incredibly valuable to you. You might be willing, might not be willing to turn loose of your time. You might not be willing to turn loose of your talent. It's really hard for us sometimes to turn loose of our treasure. But here's the thing the master needs it. Because he wants to do something so much greater with it than what you can do on your own. Your time, your talent, your treasure. I felt in my heart for the last day as I was prepping this message that maybe the Holy Spirit would confront some people. I know confront's a strong word, but hey, listen, sometimes the Holy Spirit confronts you on some things. Maybe right now what's happening in your life is, we've talked about this and brought this message to you today. Maybe you're quickly identifying some areas where maybe you got some things tied up in your life that you've been unwilling to untie and loosen and give control over to the Master. Maybe right now as we sit here, you can identify what those things are. Maybe right now as God's knocking on the door of your heart, I can do a whole lot more with that than you can. I can do a whole lot better with that than you can. I can do a whole lot greater with that than you can. Would you be willing to untie it and let me take it for my purposes? That's you today. I want to pray right now. I want to pray right now because I believe that that's the message that God has given to some people here today. Father, I thank you that you have given each and every one of us a measure of time on this earth. God, we don't know what that measure is, but you've given us the opportunity to steward the time that we've been given and invest the time that we've been given into your kingdom purposes and into your plan. God, I don't know what everybody's talent is that's in this place today, but there are people here that have talents that are unique to them, that are absolutely incredible, and the world doesn't even know about it, but if they would give it over to you and give control of that thing to you and untie it and let you have it, you would do incredible things with it. I pray that today you would show people what it is that they need to untie and let go of when it comes to their gifts, their talents, and their own unique abilities. Father, when it comes to our treasure, I pray that you would have our heart when it comes to our treasure, that we would be willing to untie it. God, there are things that you have need of it for, kingdom purposes that you want to accomplish through us, but you are looking for willing participants who will say, I untie this thing, I loosen this thing, and I give it over to you. God, show us how to do it. Give us the willingness, give us a burden and a desire that won't go away until we untie those things and say, be the master, take control, and have your way with this. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, with heads bowed and eyes closed, I just wanna say that if that's you today and you feel in your heart like God's saying, I need to untie this, I need to let go of it, I need to give it over. Don't let today go by without taking advantage of the opportunity. Untie it, let go of it, give it over to the master. He can do so much more with it than you can. He has so much greater purposes for it than you do. He can do bigger, better, greater with it than you and I can. Maybe you're here today We've been talking about God all morning. Maybe you feel like God is distant. Maybe you feel like you've never had a relationship with God, you've never known God. But right now in this atmosphere of faith, I believe that the Holy Spirit is here, that He's working, He's ministering, that He's encountering you this morning. And if there's something on the inside of you that's just feeling attracted to the message of God, the message of Christ, and you're saying, I wanna know what it means to have purpose for my life, and I also wanna know what it means to have hope for all of eternity. I wanna tell you that the greatest fulfillment we can ever find in life and the greatest peace that we could ever find for eternity is found through a relationship with Jesus. I wanna ask if you would give him a chance to come in and change things, to take control, to make something greater of your life because the truth is he died for the opportunity to do it. After it's you today, you'd say, I wanna ask Jesus to come into my life I want things to change, I want to know what it means to have a relationship with God. All you have to do is believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That when he went to the cross, he paid your punishment and mine. And that God raised him from the dead so that you and I could have hope forever. If that's you, you want to make that decision today, you want to invite Jesus to come in and become the Lord of your life, I want to lead you in a prayer because if we believe those things, the Bible says that we should confess it. When we do that, it says that we're born again. So right now we're not gonna do anything uncomfortable or awkward or put you in a strange spot. We're gonna pray a prayer together. Today you feel like you need to pray that prayer for yourself to invite God in to come and become the Lord of your life. Would you mean this with everything inside of you and just simply repeat these words. Say, dear Jesus, today I invite you in. I give you control. I want you to become the Lord of my life. I believe that you're the son of God. I believe that you died for my sins. I believe that you were raised from the dead, and today I want your purpose, and I want your peace, so I accept you today. I ask you to lead me and to guide me, in Jesus' name, amen, amen.